the Christian life is not easy. But I want to ask you today, why not? Why isn't the Christian life easy? Think about it. God is our Father. So why isn't the Christian life easy if God is your Father? Jesus rules the universe. So why isn't life easy for us, his disciples? We're born again. We're not the same old people we once were. We're born again. We're alive forevermore. Not only that, but we're indwelt by Jesus Christ. He lives in our hearts by faith. Why isn't the Christian life easy, therefore? And God has given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God himself, given to you and to me personally through faith in Christ. God the Son lives in our hearts, and God the Holy Spirit fills us. Why is life so hard for us Christians? What is the problem? Now let me, let me show you what the problem is. Look at verse 10, and we'll read through this passage. Finally, my brethren, we're at the end of the letter, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. For, I'm sorry, put on the whole armor of God. Getting a little ahead of myself there. Put on the whole armor of God. What's that about? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, <clears throat> against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith which, which you, with which you will be able to quench, and what are these, all the fiery darts of the wicked one? Are you being shot at? And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, etc. That's why the Christian life is hard. That's why the Christian life is not easy. This passage is a call to battle. It's a declaration of war. And whether you realize it today or not, you are in a war. There is a mighty opposition to Jesus Christ and all his followers on the earth. And I want you to see this picture. And that's one of the large reasons why we have the book of Revelation. I know people use it to try to figure out the future, but that's a mistake. That's a really big mistake that many generations of Christians have made for many, many years. The book of Revelation is given to you to see what's really going on that you can't see with these eyes. Now, let's take a look at this. Revelation chapter 12. You know, when you read the book of Revelation the wrong way, you find helicopters in it. 
We're not going to read the book of Revelation like that. We're going to read it the way it's meant to be read. Now, we're not going to study the whole book, but we're going to take a look at some of the images that we're given about what's really going on in your world where you live right here, even sitting in these old pews. Revelation 12, look at this, verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Once that happened, what do we call these angels? Demons, unclean spirits. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, and isn't this irony? Isn't this paradoxical? Satan is overwhelmed in heaven and cast to earth, and what do we hear in heaven? A loud voice in heaven. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Now the word overcame here is, is war terminology. They conquered him. They victored over him um, through what? What does it say? The blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. So we're at war, and the devil and all the demons want to kill you and want to kill me, and they want to extinguish and exterminate all traces of the, earth, of the faith from the earth. That's the picture you and I are supposed to have. That's why we have the book of Revelation. Let's see another one. See, this is frontal assault. The devil and the demons are coming to destroy us. But he's not stupid. He's subtle. Genesis 3 said he's... The, the most cunning, the cleverest of all those that God made. Now look what he does in Revelation 17. And maybe this will help you to start to read the book of Revelation without fear. I can't read that book. It's so scary. Well, when the devil is cast to the earth, it's because Jesus was put to death on the cross and he victored over the devil. So the devil only has a short time. And we're the victors if we live by faith and get involved in the battle and don't lie there going, I hope he doesn't see me. He does see you, believe me. But like I said, the devil is subtle. So watch what happens here in Revelation 17, verses 1 to 6. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot. Now, this is the mirror image, or I should say the opposite, of the bride of Christ, who is unveiled at the end of the book of Revelation, the church. Here is what's going on now. There's this great harlot who sits on many waters, and the many waters represent all the peoples and the nations and the languages on the earth. So she fills the earth with her seduction. All right, he says, come, and show, come, I will show you the judgment of the great heart. In other words, she's going to be destroyed, who sits on many wars, look at the waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, 
and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Fornication and harlotry and adultery is really talking about idolatry, where the devil uses the things that God created to get you and me to worship as God what is not God and to devote our lives and to pursue that which is going to ruin you and destroy you. For example, one of the most obvious examples would be drugs and alcohol. But there's many other things that people pursue to the detriment of their lives and to the destruction of their souls, like other people, what other people say, what other people think, what other people do to me. Very subtle, but the whole business here of the devil in this subtle way of going after you and me is through seduction through seducing you to worship something that is not God, but treating it as important as God or more important than God. So let's read a little bit more here. Verse 3, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and that's the world without Christ. That's where we are right now, a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. That's how it's put in Psalm 63. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Now, she's working for the devil. She's riding the beast who is the personal agent of the devil. And this beast was full of names of blasphemy. That's all the devil can do is blaspheme God. He hates God and he hates you so much. And having seven heads and ten horns, and I would love to stop here and explain this kind of thing, but we may be doing the book of Revelation sometime soon. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet royal colors and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. She looks rich and she's beautiful and alluring and seductive, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and she wants to get you to drink it. And the filthiness of her fornication, she wants you to drink it so that you are filthy and you are dirty and you are sinful and wicked and evil and you think it's great. And on her forehead, her name was written, Mystery Babylon, because you don't know her unless God opens up your eyes and you begin to see it as you live your life. And you begin to think, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is idolatry. My heart has an idol in it. Or that's, that the world's trying to seduce me to do its will against God's will. Mystery, Babylon the Great, she's powerful, the mother of harlots. She's the mother of all idolatry. She's the one who spawns all false worship, all false religions, all pursuit of that as God, which is really not God at all. The abominations of the earth. I saw, and look look at this picture, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. See, in the end, when she gets you to drink and get drunk and seduces you, she kills you. She destroys you. The blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, John says, I marveled with great amazement. And then he gets rebuked. Why were you so blown away by that woman? You should have known better, John. He gets rebuked. Now, let's move on a little bit later here in chapter 18. And she's coming down. She's going to be destroyed. Evil will not last in this world. That's one of the big reasons I'm a Christian is because there's no other religion, there's no other philosophy or ideology that has a plan for getting rid of the evil. You check out the religions. They don't have a plan for getting rid of the evil. A lot of the religions religions say, well, there is evil, but it it only looks like evil. It's not really evil. It's normal. Yeah? You want to tell me what some people do to little children is just appears to be evil and it's not evil? <laughs> You're not going to fool me, devil. 
So 18, verse 1, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. So in other words, you better listen up. And the earth was illuminated with his glory. So look at this believer, because you're the only one who can see it. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. And that's a, that's a biblical description that something is completely destroyed and ruined and nothing good will ever happen to it again. And it says, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. Think really drastic examples of this would have been Hitler and Stalin and Mao. And these politicians who call good evil and evil good, and they'll do anything to get power and stay in power, they're ones that are seduced, and you and I can see it. The world out there doesn't get it. They don't know. They explain it this way and that way. You and I, we read the book of Revelation, we say, I see it. I know what it is. doesn't necessarily make us happy, but it gives us understanding. And we start to pray in that name we were singing about. And then it says in verse 3, For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. I love the world, and I love the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. See, we have the book of Revelation, so we can really see what's going on out there. What are you running after? What are you pursuing? What gets you upset? What, what, what would you die for? Do you ever hear people say that? It's to die for. I try not to use that. I'm going to die for Jesus if I'm going to die, not for a, some chocolate cake. <laughs> Where in the world are we these days? Well, it's the scarlet woman on the scarlet beast. Now look at verse 9. She's destroyed. Look at the result. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her. When they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Now that's what God does. Everything seems to be going great, and everybody's running after this and running after that, never completely satisfied, but always chasing the carrot on the end of the stick, and then boom, judgment and ruin, death forever. See, they don't know it out there. They're partying and dancing and carrying on. The end comes. They never saw it coming. And we're saying, wait, listen, we warn you. We want to let you know what's going to happen. Oh, you're a fanatic. You're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, right, 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 yeah. But some will listen. Didn't you? And you came to Christ. So we ought to keep warning, keep telling them, and praying, praying, praying. So here it comes. Boom. Down comes the end. And verse 11. And the merchants... Of the earth, let me look for my place here real quick. I want to make sure I don't get the wrong. Okay, yeah, verse 11. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. See, when the judgment comes, people then that are left are us, and we don't buy it. And everybody else, they don't know. And then in Revelation 20 is the great white throne judgment. But notice, 
the merchandise in verse 12. Gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble. And this is the things of the world, isn't it? And incense, fragrant oil, let me smell good, and frankincense, wine and oil, all the best stuff, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, Chevys and Lexuses, and bodies and souls of human beings. The world loves slavery, and there it is. People are lured to buy people like property and treat them like property and trash. That's the devil out there. That's what's going on in the world out there. And some people aren't slaves, but they are enslaved. Get what I mean? And then it says in verse 14, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. And all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. And that's hell. Where you die lusting and longing and desiring and pursuing, and it all comes to nothing. And you live endlessly aching and agonizing Oh, God, I'm left with nothing, and I could have had everything, and I went after this, and I went after that. Eternal remorse and regret, along with other things the Bible describes about hell. See, that's the picture you're given in the book of Revelation. That's why it's at the end. After you see all the stuff that's pretty clear and pretty easy, now we come to the book of Revelation. God seals the, the New Testament with this book and says, Now, never forget this. Usually when somebody's making an argument, they'll say, well, now some people believe this, and then some people believe that, and some people believe this, but this is what I believe. They leave it at the end so that you know this is what's going to last in your mind. That's what the book of Revelation is there, is this should be what's, what lasts in your mind. Read it. The Bible promises, the book of Revelation promises you a blessing if you would simply read it. And then trust the Holy Spirit to give you understanding. And you might not get it all, but read it again. And then read it again. And go back over it and say, wow, well, don't get that one. It's okay. Read it again. Pray, pray, pray. Because God wants you to have it. He wants you to know it. He wants you to understand it. And you have to have faith. And you'll begin to pick up on things that you never imagined. And say, now I'm getting wisdom. Now I'm getting insight. Now I see what's going on in the political realm here or in that church where these terrible things are happening. What is, oh, now I see. That's not so we put other people down. That's not so we think we're better than others. How can you, a sinner saved by grace, think you're better than anybody else? Better get off that one in a hurry. We humble ourselves because God had mercy upon us. He didn't have to, but he did. So we're at war. And you and I are in this life, in this life, take it seriously, in one battle after another. That's what it is. When you are in this mortal body until Christ returns, you're at war. You're at, in a battle with the desires that are within you and the desires that are provoked by what's around you. You're in battle in your marriage 
You're at war in your family and in all your relationships, whether with believers or unbelievers, it is war every day and it will be until Jesus returns. Wake up. And I'm not saying this to scare you because in a few moments I'm going to say, but we're victors. (laughs) We're winners. You know, but we need to be made aware of just what is going on in this world, in this life. Yes, I love a good vacation too. I enjoyed being with my sister last weekend, but I was still at war there. You know, it's nice to go away, but you can't get out of this war until you die. And then you see Jesus. Okay? So, look at Ephesians chapter 4, just to give you an example of Satan's warfare against you in an ordinary event in your life. Ephesians 4. You'll remember this as soon as we get there. Ephesians 4, verse 26. Have you ever been angry? Ever since you got your license, if you had never been angry before, you started driving and you got angry at some point or another. Man, sometimes, some crazy stuff going down to Virginia last week. They better be glad I did not have a phaser. All right, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Look at this. Nor give place to the devil. How normal is anger? It's very normal. God gets angry, but he never sins. We're made in his image, so sometimes we get angry, but sometimes our anger is sinful right off the bat, and then sometimes it starts out righteous indignation, but quickly turns into some kind of sinful reaction, right? Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Families, marriages, relationships, or guess what? You're opening up a big door for demons to come in. You say, oh, Pastor Steve, you don't believe in demons. I absolutely do. And I am rebuked by Almighty God since I've been studying this passage because I have not been as faithful in preaching about this or in taking this seriously in my own personal life. This is for real. It's in the Bible. And we need to take it seriously if we're going to have true victory together, right? So I want to talk about we're victors, and I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to really go fast. Okay? So verses 10 and 11, chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Here's, here's, we're going to talk about that we are victors, because I don't want to leave you feeling like, I don't want to go out of this building, because I don't know what's going to happen. Pastor Steve's got me fearful and worried and anxious. That is not how I want to leave you, Okay? So, verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. There it is. And in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God. That God that's what God gives you, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So, the first part says, be strong in the Lord. Now, you already know by now, we're in Christ or in the Lord when we're saved. That means I am one with him and he is one with me. We enjoy, we share this union with God. That, that's what Jesus meant when he said, no one can snatch you out of my hand. No one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. In other words, Jesus is in us and we are in Jesus, so be strong in the Lord in the salvation that you already have and cannot be taken away from you. And it says, second part, in the power of his might. 
And the word might here is all God's mighty power. It's a mighty power that never runs out. It's infinite. It's inexhaustible. And you are to live in the power of that almighty God at work in you and through you by faith in him. So when you're in trouble, when you're in a situation, when you're facing temptation, you can say, be strong in the Lord, and then use your name, Steve, and in the power of his might. No, I can't myself stand. I'll be bold right over, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See? Put it together. And say it to yourself and preach it to yourself and believe it and act upon it. Even though you might be, you might be trembling down to your tippy toes, you believe it and you act upon it because the power comes in the believing and in the acting. Doing what he says, believing what he says, right? Be strong in the Lord. I'm saved. I'm in the Lord and the power of his might. So take a look at uh, Ephesians 1, and I want to run through this real quick. Ephesians 1, man, oh, man. That's why I don't like to show video clips and stuff in church. All right, verse 15, Ephesians 1. Therefore, I also... After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your salvation, and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. This is what I want you to know, Paul says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Remember, this literally means being flooded with light. That you may know what is the hope of his calling, that hope that we have that never goes away. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in us, the saints? And here it is. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? Where are you? Raised up together with Christ, made alive together with Christ, and seated where? In the heavenly places in Christ. There it is. That's where you and I are positionally in our union with Jesus Christ. We've already overcome. He says, far above all, look at these words, principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, that great serpent of old, the devil, the beast, the the woman on the scarlet beast, he's over all of them. Not only the ones named in this age, but in that which is to come. And he, the Father, put all things under his, the Son's feet, and gave the Son to be head over all things to the church. In other words, God put Jesus in charge of the entire cosmos for you and for me. So when I call upon his name, he's right there. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And we are his body, the fullness of him, the mighty power and love and grace of God that fills all in all. And if you're in the body, that power fills you as well. How about that? Or look at Ephesians 3. Remember this one, verse 14? You and I in the family of God. Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Guess what? We're in union with the Father. Because when I'm in Christ, God is my Father, and I'm in the family, and the family is named after the Father. And it says that he would grant you, brother and sister, here today, according to the riches of his glory, and glory is all of God 
who he is and all his wonderful power and grace and mercy and every one of his attributes, his whole glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in your inner man, your inner person, who you really are. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, and for you and for me, God's power is never detached from his love. His power to save you comes in that love that grasps you and embraces you and says, I'm taking you from the devil and your sin. I'm making you mine. So that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Here it is. That you may be filled with what? All the fullness of God. Who made this religion up? Nobody. No sinner is ever going to talk like this in any religion. Basically, all other religions are you keep your nose clean, you hang in there, you give it your best try, maybe you'll get there. The Bible says you already are there because of what Jesus Christ did. You're already there. You're seated in the heavenly places. But there's more. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in heaven. Is that what it says? That works in? No, no, it says in us. In you and in me, the saints of God. You know what? The Bible is so hard to believe, I believe it. Do you get what I'm saying there? To him be glory in the church. There is the church again. That Jesus has been placed over all the cosmos with respect to the church. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Can you say? Amen. So I want you to test yourself. Is this true of you? Is this the way you're thinking? Is this what you're seeing? Is this the world that you've been living in lately? Have you heard the call to battle? Are you at war? Do you take up your armor and your weapons and go to battle every day? Are you even aware of what's going on in this world? Or have you fallen asleep? Are you in the fight? Because if you're not, you're dead. You're dead because you don't know. And if you don't know, it's because you're dead. You're spiritually dead. But if you're alive, you say, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I've been missing it. I haven't seen it this way, but now I do. And Lord willing, as we go through this passage, we'll all be helped to see what's really going on, to put the devil in the right proportion in terms of living our lives, not being overwhelmed by his greatness and power, and learning how to put the armor on and what it is and how to use it. And especially, I want us to be made aware of the wiles of the devil. Do you know that the word wiles of the devil there? It's where you and I get the English word method. The methods of the devil. You got to know it so you can identify it and you can smash it. Because God has given us that grace, given us that power. So let's wake up. Let's put on our God-given armor with all our weapons. And we're going to fight the good fight of faith together. So, think about this way. Do you get angry when things go wrong? Beware. The demons are affecting you. Do you give in to temptation because you can't help yourself? Do you say to yourself, oh, I'm so weak. I can't help myself. Or do you put on the strength and the armor of the Lord and do you fight? 
Now, I have certain temptations like you do, and sometimes I give in, and sometimes I stand and I fight. But you know, as I stand here before you and my God, I'm not going down without a fight. I'm going to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I'm going to know the Bible. I'm going to find the verses. I'm going to commit the ones that I really need it to memory. I'm going to put them on a piece of paper and stick them in my pocket and have them ready. But we've got to fight the good fight of faith. We don't give in to sin. We fight it. And even when we collapse and say, oh, Lord, forgive me, I messed up again, get back up. Get the armor back on and stand because God forgives every sin of every believer who repents and asks for forgiveness. He's always and ever faithful. He never says, no, that's enough. He says, come back. Come back. I have more for you. I have lots of grace for you. I never run out of it. Grace upon grace upon grace. So let's focus our attention not on the people in our lives, not on the circumstances of our lives, not on what's going down around us. Let's open our eyes and see what's really happening and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. As Paul puts it, and I'll end here, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And we're going to learn what good stuff God has given us to fight the good fight of faith. And to W-I-N, win. Let's pray. Father, grant us more grace, more mercy, more love, more power from on high. Lord, we pray that you would expose the idols of our hearts, that we'll see that woman when she's trying to seduce us, and we'll realize that we're in a real battle, a real war. Because of you, Jesus, the victory is already secured, but we want to have our part in fighting the good fight of faith and joining with you as overcomers who get to sit on the throne of your Father with you because you're the ultimate overcomer who overcame and the Father invited you to sit upon the throne with him. Hallelujah. We praise you and ask you, help us now not to go back to sleep when we leave this place today. In Jesus' name, amen.